Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rikweer Wait. In this episode, I speak with Doris Fulhun about futures thinking and the role of trends and fads. And without further ado, here's the interview. Doris, welcome back on the Wait and Speak podcast. Thanks, Rikweer. It's always good to speak to you. Setting us off for our discussion, we had to speak about, obviously, thinking about the future, but specifically in terms of trends. Can you tell us what what is the big difference between trends and fads? You often hear about these terms and people saying this is the next new hot trend. What what is the distinction? What really makes something a trend uh, rather than a fad? Oh, that is such a cool question, Rekwe. Because you know what? When they develop early on, a trend and a fad looks very, very similar, but there are some distinct differences. So a trend usually develop a little bit slower, whereas a fad is like quick in, but then it grows fast and usually it dies fast as well. Whereas a trend would develop slower, but it will have this slow but wider adoption. And the adoption is sort of a very good test. If you see that whatever you are looking at and wondering whether this is a trend or a fad, if you ask yourself why, why are people adopting this? Why are people doing this? And you come to the conclusion that, you know what, this thing is taking a little bit of their pain away. It's solving an issue. It is addressing a a problem for them then the chances that this is a trend is a little bit stronger because trends, the reason why the adoption becomes wider and it prevails over a longer time is because it helps people to address some or another problem or an issue. And therefore, we see this sustained growth in a trend, whereas a fad, it grows quickly and then it burns quickly and then it's gone kind of stuff. In terms of an organization strategy, how Mm -hmm. we react to a trend in a fad will be a little bit different. A fad would influence your tactic. In other words, what it is that you do or you do something for a short while. Whereas responding to a trend would probably require you to look a little bit deeper and tweak or adapt your strategy. So that is, in general, the difference between trends and fads. Mm -hmm. Could an organization perhaps in the short term react to a fad if it's if it's easy to do so and to, to take ben- mm. to take a benefit mm. out of the fad and, and and do fads sometimes indicate perhaps a bigger trend that's not directly related to the fad itself? Yes, yes, yes. Like I said just now, it's always very important to ask why. And then to mm. not to not be so um purists that we say, no, 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 we're not going to do anything about fads kind of thing. Hey, man, there's there's actually a few benefits to reacting to a fad as long as you know what you're doing and that everybody in the organization understands. Otherwise, we're just going to be changing, changing, tipping, changing, and people get sort of change fatigue because they have to adapt to new things all the time. But if we know it's a fad and we quickly create some or another participation or or something, we can actually draw a little bit of value or benefit from the fad. Well, a few benefits, there could be increased awareness of your organization. I mean, if you also participated during COVID, 
practicing the dance, uploading a little bit of a video there or doing the ice bucket challenge a while ago. Um, so a little bit more awareness, you get an extra badge on your cool factor kind of thing. And it mm -hmm. could also create a gateway to new audiences. But the trends are the ones that we should actually be when we change our processes, our systems, our strategies, we must rather focus on the trends than on the facts. Mm -hmm. and, and what should organizations and individuals really do in, in terms of information out there, mm. discerning the different types of information, how far to go into that information and, and what, what would be a good approach perhaps to, to think about fads and, and make best use of the, of the opportunities? Well, I think the first thing is to be as informed as possible. And one living person can only consume that much. So it, it must be sort of a, a, a shared responsibility to read and read and read and keep informed. Because the more you know, the more you will be able to distinguish. Oh, no, this is just a short-term thing. Of, hey, this thing is, create, is gaining traction. There's a lot of groundswell kind of year. And we can see that. This is also connected to that. And that's more or less how you identify the trend. So keeping informed and sharing that responsibility across the organization, cultivating sort of a, a culture of futures consciousness, of looking out the window all the time to see what is going on out there, keeping informed. And then do a little bit of playing around, experimenting with the new stuff, see where it could go or what it can do. But really allocating diary time, agenda time, to try and understand what lies beneath that 2% increase, 3% decrease that we are seeing. And that will bring a lot of clarity. Mm. And, and from what you mentioned, the, you mentioned shared responsibility. So I think it's good if the the research or the reading part can be shared, but I think also from what you mentioned, it's just for, for team members to talk to one another and discuss these ideas and brainstorm off each other um, to get a better sense of what's really happening out there. Yeah, the, the news that made my slightly biased, as you know, um, heart very, very happy was to hear that one organization at the beginning of every meeting, no matter what the meeting is, is about, they allocate seven minutes of shared insights of what did you read? What did you see? Did you see something interesting? So seven minutes at the start of every meeting. Good morning. How are you? This is the start of the meeting. Okay, so what did you read? What did you hear? Kind of thing. And the message that they, they've been doing this for a few months now, and what they are now saying is that uh, the general cohesion within the, their teams is up by a mile um, but the futures consciousness and the cool thing is um, the innovation levels or, or the kind of oh we better start thinking about this we have to do this and the general positivity in the business just upped um, and they ascribe a lot of that to that seven minutes of every meeting where uh, because it, it it helps people to to be informed, but also to keep themselves informed, because if you attend the next meeting and you have nothing to say or to share, um, you feel out a little bit. So that shared responsibility by actually allocating agenda time um, made all of the difference for that organization.
Well, that sounds like a really good practice. I think it with benefits for the organization and also making sure every meeting has a has a good start and has some positive outcomes um, in the in the bigger scheme of things. In terms of the different dimensions of change that futurists consider, obviously um, thinking about the future is thinking about how things will change. Can you tell us a bit more what are these dimensions of change and how do they uh, potentially impact the future and how, how can we best evaluate them? So when we look at how stuff is moving or shifting, we could take four different lenses. And the four lenses are, okay, so from where is this change coming? The other one is, okay, so in terms of time horizons, um, uh, how long, where are we looking when we are considering um potential factors of change and then how fast what is the rate of change and mm -hmm. then and what shape what 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 shape is happening so i'll say a few words about each of those mm -hmm. so the first is from where is this change and i mean the psychologists will have a jaw with this but <laughs> um so is the change coming at us or is the change sort of our reaction to whatever is happening out there? And of course, you can write a whole PhD on this alone. Um, mm. But the actual change is probably the interplay between that, whatever is coming at us and how and we respond to that. But to have a little bit of an idea of the rhythm of that action is already going to give you much deeper insight into the change and how it is evolving and what is happening. So that is one of the dimensions. Mm -hmm. Another dimension um, or another lens scope is this zooming out kind of thing. So how far are we going to zoom out when we think about the consequences of something that is busy evolving? Um, are we going to look three years down the line or 30 years down the line? Because a lot more change is possible over 30 years than over the next three months or three years, for instance. So the time horizon is a very mm -hmm. important dimension. And, and that has a little bit to do with our perception of time. Um, the answer to the question, so how long is a long time? And the answer to that sometimes in different industries is totally different. If we, if we look at information and communications technologies, how long is a long time? Maybe shorter than we, people that do climate studies, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, another dimension of change, the third one, is how fast is this change happening? Of course, we would prefer slow, continuous change because that means we can keep track of it way easier. While it is developing, we can make our adaptation strategies and we have time to consider and time to think if it is slow, continuous change. But mm -hmm. if it's fast and rapid or even surprising and, and we still thought it was slow and then it just picked up speed and went fast, that kind of change is sometimes very hard to manage from a strategy kind mm -hmm. A position in terms of getting everything okay to be able to move with the change. The fourth dimension of course is which shape is this change? Mm -hmm. Now this is a very interesting dimension because I mean people have pictures in their mind and when we say the word 
change and you ask people, okay, so what do you see in your mind when we say the word change? The most prevalent answer is, yes, they see a line um, and it starts bottom left and it goes more or less straight to top right, sort of. And that is what change. If you ask people about change, that's the picture that they have in change. More or less a linear line, bottom left to top right. So it goes up and it forms more or less a straight line. But in the real world, Rekia, that kind of change doesn't really happen. Um, we have all kinds of very interesting other shapes. Um, we have cyclic, where, where um, change happens in cycles. Um, we have this asymptotic, almost the S-curve kind of thing, because most things hit some or another kind of limit, and then the change just, just eases out, kind of. And then the one that surprises us from time to time is exponential change, where mm. there is a slow and gradual build-up and then a sudden increase and very fast going up to also some or another limit where it hits it. So mm. that is the four dimensions of change, a little bit more about each of those. That, that that's a good good a good visual um, to think about change and 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 I think you mentioned exponential change as one of the examples. I think often we see changes as very sudden something changes, but I guess it also depends on when do we actually become aware of the change. It mm. might have been a slow process of changes, and then the result of all that change seems like a sudden change in the end. And I guess the trick is to to pick up on those slow changes. But as you mentioned, that that can be tricky. Yeah, definitely. And many times people tag something as a total surprise. We didn't see this coming. But that may just means that we were not looking, that it was there and it was developing, but it wasn't on our radar. We were not looking, we were not paying attention. And now we tag this as a total surprise, but it, in actual fact, we were just not taking notice of this thing that was developing. Yes, there, there, there's always or often there might have been a voice somewhere talking about mm. it, but but no mm. one heard it, um, and then then it comes as a surprise. Yeah, and you know what? I read a, a really cool book by George Day and Peter, was it Schumacher and Day? But they wrote in there was when organisations are surprised by an event and they start doing a little bit of research of why were we this surprised, then they realized that somebody in the organization actually knew about this. But they didn't know that the senior leadership did not know about this. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Because they think if they know, everybody knows. Because it's on the level where they are, it is what they live with every day, this issue kind of thing. So because it's such a big part of their lives, they think, oh, yes, but I mean, if I think about this thing all day, um, senior management must definitely be thinking about this as well. So they didn't know to tell senior management. And then on the other side, senior management didn't know that somebody inside of their organization knew about this thing and that they just didn't know. So this disconnect of information flowing through different levels and different functions within an organization is many times the reason for a surprise or a so-called surprise that was not actually supposed to be a surprise.
and and then links to the example you gave about having a discussion at the start of every meeting just to mm. get some mm. form of communication and engagement because you'd think it's obvious people would, would know this but they don't necessarily because it's not in their realm of, of operation yeah yeah mm. yeah for sure definitely and and, and doris then what are the steps futurists use when thinking about the future and, and where do trends fit into this bigger process? Ah, now, usually the trends, well, the trends is many times the reason for a futurist to start becoming involved because people start noticing things and they say, whoa, maybe we must pay attention to this thing. So even before the foresight process starts, Trends are involved because people start getting a little bit uneasy and think, Ooh, maybe we must start thinking about this. So trends, even before the process starts, usually in the first phase, it is very important to really do a detailed scoping, um, to really understand what the issue is, what it is that we're going to think about. And there the trends play a significant role as well, so that you can the trends help you to identify what you want to focus on for a foresight initiative or a future study. And but the big place of the trends are in the second phase where we identify the drivers of change, the key factors that would influence the issue that we are thinking about. And that's the primary big, big, big place for the trends. In the third phase, we, we try to get to know um, those drivers of change a little bit better. So now we actually work with them and engage with them so that we can try to understand which of them will be the main actors in the story and which would be the support ones and which would just be the context shapers. So there we also work with them, but then they are known to us. So we're not looking for them anymore. We have found them and we analyze them. After that, we, we start creating those alternative futures. Now that we have done the detailed analysis and we know the kind of roles that each of those trends will be playing um, in the future scenarios that we try to um, create. So we create multiple scenarios and then, of course, um, we hand it over or so give it in such a format that people can actually use it in their day-to-day -day lives. Because the most important question in any scenario activity is what about Wednesday? Because by Wednesday, we should have learned something from the whole scenario activity so that on Wednesday, we can start making decisions in a more informed manner or start adapting our processes or the way we do business. Mm. And and then is that then thinking of what what would be the ideal scenario and what can what steps can we do today to to move towards that type of a scenario in the end? Yes, and and that on the one hand, where do we prefer to go? Because we co-create um, the future by the decisions we make, the resources we allocate, the processes that we create but also to create a strategy that could remain robust across multiple futures. Yes. Because stuff is so uncertain and change so fast. To design a strategy for one future is already to put yourself at a little bit of risk. So you do your best to co-create the future that you prefer, but in terms of strategy, to create a strategy that could remain robust across multiple of those um, futures that could emerge, 
and then to make sure that your information systems are sensitized to feed you the kind of information that you need so that you can adapt in the tiniest manner. Mm, that, that's a very important point. So developing a holistic strategy, one to kind of pursue key objectives, but also to be, to be nimble and agile for, for yeah. what if other things happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Doris, we've been speaking about trends in the bigger picture. What are the key macro trends currently on Futurist Radar? Hmm. As always, you can't really think about anything if you're not thinking about people. So demographic changes is always somewhere in the story. And we're mm-hmm. seeing across the globe interesting changes in demography. In some um, areas, we see significant aging of populations, whereas in other Um, areas of the world, we still have young populations, but hidden in those young populations is portions of the population that are aging, and they're not getting enough attention in the societies with young populations, um, Mm. because they're so focused on creating opportunities for the young people that they're not realizing that people are now actually living longer than what they did before, and that significant portions of their populations are aging. So interesting dynamics there. And while we're still talking about people, also migration. Where do people move and what do they do? Um, Geopolitical power shifts is always one of the macro trends to keep track of. Where's the power shifting? Who's doing what? Um, Economic activity shifts. Um, In recent decades, we've seen... Um, the growth of the south, the global south and east in terms of economic activity and how that is shifting um, global economics. Uh, and then hanging close together with this, um, the definition and the shape of work and what do we conceptualize as work, economic activity or a job kind of thing. A lot of those things are shifting in interesting ways. And then a Another big trend is a growing focus on health and wellness um, to keep people that we talk about healthy aging, to keep people healthy for longer and a focus on keeping people healthy rather than um, addressing the need when they become ill. So keeping people from becoming ill, that kind of shift focus was an interesting one and still continues. And then the changing shape of education. Um, Not very long ago, we still had this three-stage life where early in your life, you finished your education and then you had a long period of work, mostly in one job for one employer kind of thing. And then in the third stage, you stopped working and then you were retired kind of thing. And now with the shifting in the kind of work, economic activity, but also in education, we're seeing this um, smaller bits of education that is spread across um, people's lives and that we don't really have a career ladder anymore. We're getting this sort of lattice kind of thing. And every time you want to move to another portion of the lattice, you need another little portion of education to sort of help you up or to the side or wherever it is that you want to go on the lattice. So the changing shape of education is a significant trend. And who the big players and the big providers are, there's a lot of fragmentation in the industry, so all kind of interesting things happen there. Um, 
more macro trends, shifts towards more responsible consumption and production. Across industries, we're seeing the shift of we cannot mess with the earth the way that we have been up to now. So let us start creating more responsible manufacturing processes, transport processes, use and next use kind of things being designed into production, which is very cool for me. I love that. Um, and then the shifts in terms of populism, protectionism, individualism, all those isms that create all kinds of interesting tensions within societies. Now that we talk about people, the influence of influencers and how that is disrupting um, industries and the way organizations communicate with their potential target markets. So the influence of influencers is going really strong. And then the whole concept of money and value and what, and I think the def definition of free or mm -hmm. paid for, what, what is free and should be free, what should we still pay for? And if we pay for something, how do we pay? And with what do we pay? All kinds of interesting shifts in money. Requiem, I probably can carry on all day, but I'm going to stop there for now. No, that, that, that's a good list to think about. Thank you, Doris. Then, Doris, I think when you talk about the future and, and trends, people often associate it with technology, things like drones and AI. But where does that fit into the bigger picture in terms of the broader macro environment? And, and what are the other equally important things? I think we've touched on it in terms of macro trends already to some extent just now um, around you know, what, what are important things shaping the future outside of technology and, and where mm. does technology rightly fit into all of that? Yeah, I think the, I just want to make a side comment first. Many times we hear people talking about tech and tech is trends and stuff like that. Um, I'm of, of the firm opinion that the tech is not the trend, but the adoption of the tech. In other words, what, mm. what do we choose to do with the technology? That's the trend. The, the tech itself is just a technology. But what we choose to do, how we choose to adopt it or apply it, that is the trend. And that's where the interesting thing is. But that's just a side comment. You asked about what else would, must we be looking for? And it is always good to remember that, you know what, a lot of laws are, and regulations are getting passed. So the legal regulatory environment, the, now that I say the word environment, environmental issues is always, sh we should keep an eye on that. Social, what's going on with people, what are important for them, economic stuff, political stuff. But then there's a little bit of a trap there because we can say, yes, I've looked at political and I made a list and I looked at economic and I made a list. Uh, uh, uh. That is just level one. What we should actually consider is the interplay between those factors and how the regulatory environment influences the economic environment and how the, the, that influences the development or the adoption of the technology and how that influences the social or what happens to people. So we need to look for the interplay and the connections. Merely making a list is just step one. The real interesting stuff happens when we start identifying or, or conceptualizing that interplay. Because in a complex adaptive system, 
everything actually has an influence on everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and on your comment around technology, I think it, it also comes down to, to people. You've mentioned what, what is the adoption of technology and that comes back to people and how, how they behave and how they respond to incentives. And I think it, it's linked to a lot of these other factors in the end. It's what drives people's decisions and how do they react to what happens yeah. happens externally. Yeah, yeah, mm. for sure. I agree. Mm. So definitely, you got it there. Mm. Doris, you work on so many interesting projects in the IFR and your own research. Could you tell us a bit more about your current and, and ongoing research? Yes, sure. Like you know, Rick, we have this subscription service where organizations, no matter whether it's good deed organizations or government ones or corporates, they subscribe to um, what we call our core service. And for that, we create on a continuous basis with the help of our research associate team, On every Friday, we give a headline scan. We call it Friday at noon, so at 12 o'clock in in the the people that subscribe to the product, they get the headline scan of the important headlines that we took notice of. And in that sense, what what they usually do is to share this with with their teams, and that's already a little bit of, oh, yeah, this is what's going on kind of thing. And I think that's the reason why people subscribe to that to that product. So mm-hmm. the headline scan we create and then once a month we create a more comprehensive document where we identify trends and write a little bit about each of it and that is then a bit more comprehensive. So that is our ongoing activities. We we continue doing research to be, to be able to populate those products. But then our standalone big commissioned research projects towards the end of last year we finished one for the Eastern Cape government, where we considered um, the holistic and systemic nature of human development in the province of the Eastern Cape. And we had a timeline of thinking towards 2040. And that was a beautiful piece of research. And we met so many inspiring people from the Eastern Cape. And then earlier this year, in 2022, we published um, a report on the futures of employment in the agricultural sector towards 2035. Um, And that is a very interesting piece of research available in the public domain. If you want to have a copy, just shout and we we make it available to you. Um, And we considered the whole supply chain, the whole whole agri-chain, to see where the next employment opportunities could be um, up and down the chain. At the moment, we are busy with um, quite a significant project where we think with the Western Cape government about the futures of infrastructure in the province. For a global client, we are considering the futures of five different industries. And they gave us a timeline of 2050, which Mm -hmm. is a nice little bit of a stretch of our minds. So that we're very excited about that one. And then in my own research, I'm thinking about the futures of gig work, where you work for this and this and this organization, depending on how the jobs come your way. So um, all kinds of interesting little bits of research going on on our side. Very diverse and interesting. Thank you, Doris. And I think our listeners will now have a better view of of what is a trend and and how can they think about trends and, and just in general thinking about change and thinking about the future. 
Thank you very much, Rick. As always, it was lovely to speak to you. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.